Hello and welcome to The Coping Toolbox, a child psychology podcast hosted by clinical psychologists Dr. Layla Din Osman, Dr. Mary Simmering McDonald, and Dr. Jennifer Rend. We hope that this podcast helps parents, children, and teens learn new coping skills in dealing with their stress and anxiety and to help strengthen relationships in their lives. Hi, and welcome to Episode 5 of The Coping Toolbox, a child psych podcast. I'm Dr. Mary Simmering McDonald, and I'm chatting today with my co-hosts, Dr. Layla Din Osman and Dr. Jennifer Friend. For this episode, we're focusing on helping children and teens cope with low mood and depression. Um, We just wanted to take a moment before we get started to remind everyone that if you are in crisis or if you're having serious thoughts of self-harm, please be sure to look after yourself and go to the emergency department at your nearest hospital or call 911. Also, for our Canadian listeners who are looking for support, anyone between the ages of 5 and 29 can contact the Kids Help Phone by calling one 800 668-6868 or by texting CONNECT to 686-868. So we're going to be talking mostly about coping during this episode, but I just wanted to very quickly give a little bit of background on depression in kids and teens. And I imagine that the two of you would agree as well, but not surprisingly, depression and low mood are things that we often see in practice. And there are lots of kids and teens who do experience periods where they have lower moods. Um, And this is very, very normal, especially following things like a difficult event or times of change. There's also the role of genetic predisposition. So it's more likely if family members have suffered from depression, it's more likely that children and teens also will experience depression. And this is linked as well to adverse early childhood experiences of trauma. Um, So more challenging situations, there's a higher likelihood of depression. So there are these cases where it does become more problematic. Um, Dr. Layla, I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the signs that we might be looking for that would indicate a more serious problem. For sure. So I think it's important to differentiate when a child or adolescent is feeling, you know, normal feelings of sadness or blues um, because of, you know, regular stressful events that we all experience. I don't think any of us um, have a life that is free of stress. And I think, you know, children and adolescents are no different. So they may experience periods of sadness um, when they're in an argument with a friend or they don't do well on a test at school. And these are all considered normal feelings, right? Normal um, reaction to uh, stresses that they're experiencing. However, um, when a child or adolescent starts to experience feelings of sadness that just won't go away, um, that's when we start to become more concerned. Um, So the things that we look out for are, you know, that persistent sadness or negative um, thoughts that just won't go away despite trying to um, work on different strategies. Uh, Really, we're looking once again for how it's affecting functioning. So we've talked in previous episodes consistently about this idea of impairment and functioning. But basically what that means is 
you know, if the child is no longer enjoying things they used to enjoy, um, for example, you know, there's a party Friday night and they just don't feel like going or they're not in the mood uh, where typically that child is quite social. Um, perhaps the child used to enjoy an extracurricular activity and no longer wants to go. Again, previously they used to love um, doing the sport or this activity. Um, so really we're looking for a change in how they used to function previously and the loss of that enjoyment. Um, again, speaking about impairment and functioning, we may look for things like uh, all of a sudden they were, you know, a relatively good student, but now they're failing at courses. That could be a, a significant change worth noting. Um, and really, we see that that sadness and those negative thoughts uh, being persistent on a day to day basis. Um, so those are the things we're looking for that are concerning versus the kind of more normative um, shorter periods of sadness that we all experience following a stressor. Um, you know, it's, it's good to kind of discuss briefly what we're all going through collectively right now with COVID-19. Um, you know, I have a lot of clients and I'm sure both of you do as well who are experiencing these feelings of sadness right now because of all the changes and disruptions to routines and the loss of the social connections I think has been uh, absolutely huge here and why we're all feeling uh, a bit more blue than usual. Um, and so the rates have, have gone up quite a bit. I've I've noticed myself and um, I think the question with COVID-19 will be, you know, is this explained away by what we're experiencing in the pandemic and will it resolve once COVID resolves as well? Or are we going to see, you know, these cases of depression continue well past, uh, you know, when COVID does resolve, in which case we may want to consider whether these depressive states are um, you know, more serious and more persistent in nature. So I don't know if actually either of you two wanted to add anything to that, to that last point um, around COVID and what your experiences have been around that. I think um, one of the interesting things about COVID, one of the difficult things about it is that it has also kept us away from a lot of the coping strategies that really work well for things like low mood and depression. So I completely agree with what you're saying. I've seen the same sort of pattern and practice as well, where a lot of um, my clients are struggling a great deal right now. Um, and a big part of it is that a lot of the coping strategies that really tend to work for this area of need, they're much more challenging to engage in during this time. Yeah, I agree with you. That's been a huge a huge setback with COVID is this uh, limitation, especially when it comes to the recommendation of increasing social connections, right? That's been a real limitation right now in finding other ways to do that, mm -hmm. uh, I agree. Um, so sorry, we got off track there a little bit talking about COVID-19, but um, getting back to your question about what to look for, um, you know, this idea that moodiness and depression is quite common in children and teens, um, but it can go unrecognized because the symptoms are more difficult to notice versus in adults who are usually more verbal and more capable of um, recognizing those symptoms in themselves. Mm -hmm. Dr. Jen, I'm wondering if you might be able to speak more about how common this actually is for children and teens, how common depression actually is during these stages. Yeah, so probably not surprisingly, what we see is um, an increase throughout childhood where, you know, the youngest age groups um, are experiencing uh, less uh, depressive symptoms and that increases as as they move into the teenage years. 
Um, so for example, children uh, ages three to five, usually we see less than 1% of those uh, children um, uh, being depressed. Um, it increases to about 2% in children ages six to 11 years old. And then once we get into uh, 12 to 17 year old adolescents, we're looking at more like about 12%, which is a, a pretty high number. Um, the other thing that's kind of interesting is just the, the rates across genders. So what we actually find is that for children, um, we tend to have equal rates, so for males and females, but then as they hit adolescence, we see more uh, teenage females um, with depressive symptoms as opposed to males. Um, so for example, the uh, Canadian Mental Health Association actually says that for adolescents between the ages of 12 and 19, we see about 5% of male youth that have experienced a major depressive episode, whereas for females, it's about 12%. Mm. Yeah, so, so pretty high numbers there. And Dr. Leila, you spoke quite a bit about the importance that impairment of functioning plays in actually identifying depression as more of a problem. But what sort of symptoms specifically would we be looking for um, in younger kids, for example? What would these symptoms look like? Right, so we, we spoke um, a few minutes ago about how we're looking out for things like impairment in functioning, persistent sad feelings and negative thoughts, um, and how it can be more difficult to diagnose or to recognize in younger children. Um, younger children specific, uh, I find, tend to present with a lot of somatic complaints, which are basically physical uh, type symptoms. So uh, aches and pains, you know, things like tummy aches, headaches, things like that, maybe one of the first symptoms that they're reporting versus saying, uh, you know, to you or to parents, I'm sad or I'm feeling depressed, right? So they may present first with those physical symptoms because it's um, a little bit easier for them to recognize. Uh, kids um, are often quite irritable when they're feeling depressed or sometimes are acting out um, with behavioral challenges. So uh, we may see more of those kind of externalizing behaviors in kids who are depressed. Um, and anxious as well, right? So I think a lot of kids who have depression are also experiencing anxiety. They often co-occur. Um, and so they look a little less like traditional symptoms of depression that we may see in adults. Um, but it's important to kind of uh, keep an eye out for some of those symptoms that are more hidden. Um, you know, again, we mentioned younger children struggle to verbalize or understand these symptoms or when they're feeling sad. So it becomes, uh, you know, more important for parents to look out for those uh, hidden symptoms. And then we see in adolescents, the symptoms of depression are sometimes a bit more like uh, what we see in adult depression. Um, however, in adolescents, we still see things like irritability quite commonly with depression. So the teenager may seem always irritable or easy to anger, um, and those could be symptoms of depression in adolescents as well. The other thing to note, um, depression, like all, you know, mental health conditions is on a continuum. So we do have depression, which could be quite mild in nature, all the way to extremely severe with very impaired functioning. Um, and so we, we can see the whole continuum with kids, right? So um, really, I think it comes down to as parents recognizing when our children are struggling and what is different for their normal. Um, you know, where you may have previously had a happy-go-lucky child and now they're really struggling or they seem sad all the time. Uh, parents really are the ones who are in that best position to kind of notice when something is off. Um, 
there are many different types of depression, which we won't get into too much detail about in this podcast, as it would be a full other episode. But um, just to make note that um, when a child is experiencing um, the symptoms of depression for at least two week, a two week period, um, that's what we would consider a major depressive disorder. Um, and then there's another type of depression, which is quite common in children and adolescents, which used to be called dysthymia, but now we label, we have a new label for it called persistent depressive disorder. Um, and that's kind of more of the milder depression symptom. So not as serious, not as severe, but it's longer lasting. So it's instead of being for two weeks only, now we're talking for at least a year in children and adolescents. So when we see that milder, persistent, lasting more than a year, uh, type of depressive um, presentation, there's a different type of diagnosis for that. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of like that feeling gray, I always describe it in that way, that feeling gray or like the rainy day that goes on for a really, really long period of time. Um, and Dr. Jen, did you have anything to add there? Maybe as far as what symptoms we'd be looking for in older kids or in adolescents? Yeah, so I think Dr. Layla touched on a lot of uh, a lot of the symptoms that that are true for adolescents as well. Um, one of the things uh, I'm just thinking about as as Dr. Layla was talking, and I was thinking about the symptoms, and I was thinking about adolescents, is that um, a lot of these, um, you know, what are symptoms of depression are also kind of classic features of uh, of adolescents. And so the trick becomes trying to piece apart that you know is this normal behavior or is this something more more serious? Is this something that we need to get help with? Um, and I think as Dr. Lalo mentioned that it really does come back to that. How much is it interfering with day-to-day -day life? So things like, you know, academic functioning, socializing. Um, and then the other piece too is just, is it causing significant distress? You know, so when we're looking at things like irritability, uh, moodiness, um, you know, anger, frustration, um, the sadness, the lack of motivation, changes in sleep patterns, uh, changes in eating patterns, difficulty concentrating, focusing, low energy, a lot of those, like I say, are, can be common in, in adolescence as well. Um, there are some that are a little bit more um, uh, just, I don't want to say serious, but a little bit, we need to put a little bit more attention on those. So when our uh, adolescents are experiencing a lot of feelings of guilt or, you know, talking about feeling really hopeless about the future, um, that can become more, you know, something that we really do want to talk through and, and find out more about. Um, also, if there's frequent thoughts about death and dying, obviously that's something to pay more attention to. Um, and then as Dr. Layla mentioned, just sort of the lack of enjoyment in activities that used to be enjoyable and when the adolescents um, for me it's always really important when i find my clients really are struggling to find anything enjoyable and it kind of you know really it's it's a bit more of a a red flag really something more that we need to pay attention to yeah that's a really good point when you see them pulling away from things that they previously enjoyed um, and not having the motivation to engage in those activities or not enjoying them to the same degree, that's a really, really important factor to consider. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about coping with low mood and depression. Um, and it's just important to note before we get started that there are a lot of different components that go into treatment of depression. And these approaches are individualized depending on each client's needs. So um, that's really important to consider. We're kind of giving a general overview here, but obviously in treatment, um, we, we come up with a more individualized 
approach. The other part is that there's frequently the addition of medication as a component of treatment. Um, and that's, for many people, a very important part of treatment as well. Um, but today we're just going to be talking more specifically about some of the key coping techniques for treatment of low mood and depression. Um, and in our previous episodes, we've talked quite a bit about the importance of mindset. Um, we've talked about how our brains can be really good at kind of messing with us sometimes and how our thoughts can really contribute to our experience of low mood. I'm wondering, Dr. Layla, if you might be able to speak more about how our thoughts play a role in the experience of low mood and depression. For sure. So as you mentioned, you know, in our previous episodes uh, regarding anxiety, we talked at length about the link between thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So they're all interlinked, right? So when we think a certain way, it affects how we're feeling and ultimately how we're behaving in a situation. And the exact same uh, logic is true when we're talking about depression as we are for anxiety. So um, to give you a very simple example, um, you know, in our day, our, our days are filled with different events and some are good, some are bad, and there's a whole lot that are neutral. Um, but when we're depressed, we, we tend to really just focus on the negative parts of our day and put all our attention there. And when we do that, when we focus on the negative, it can really, you know, inf impact our feelings. So we start feeling sad a lot of the time and then ultimately will impact our behavior. So um, again, getting back to a real life example, imagine there's a teenager walking into their high school and uh, they say hi to their best friend. Um, they go to their first class, they have a great lecture, everything's going well, they're having a great morning. And then it's lunchtime, they're back in the hallway, they see a friend, they say hi, but the friend doesn't see them and ignores them. And so um, a teen who is uh, prone to depression may say to themselves, oh, I'm such a loser. Nobody ever says hi to me. Um, you know, that that girl doesn't like me. She hates my guts. She must think what I'm wearing is, is ridiculous, right? So um, they focus on the negative. Uh, they interpret negative in other people, right? Um, and then they go home at the end of the day and they tell their parents, oh my God, I had the worst day ever. Um, or they, maybe not their parents, they tell their friend, right? Because sometimes teenagers don't always speak to their parents about their day, which we'll get to. Um, but, you know, the idea is they summarize their day as being awful because of this one negative aspect of their day that occurred. Um, and so we know when we're depressed, we do a lot of those thinking mistakes or cognitive distortions, focusing on the negative being one of the main ones and filtering out kind of the positive or neutral parts of your day. Um, other ones that are very common are magnification. So um, the idea of making a mountain out of a molehill. So blowing things completely out of proportion. So there may be a small problem, but really blowing it out of proportion. So for example, you fail a test at school and you may think it's the end of the world. You're never gonna get into your university program of choice. So really making a big deal out of a small thing. Um, Overgeneralization is something teens do a lot of as well when they're depressed, not just anxious, but uh, making conclusions based on uh, a single event. Um, and there's lots of other ones we can talk about, but I won't get into too much detail about them. But the idea of really focusing on the negative aspects of their day um, is, is probably the most important one when it comes to depression. Um, 
you know, I think it's also important to recognize when teens and children are depressed, they often have what we call um, negative core beliefs. So that's a really kind of fancy term. But the idea is that in early um, childhood experiences or when we're growing up as, as young people, um, we often develop our sense of self, right? So sometimes we go through stressful life events. Uh, Dr. Mary mentioned adverse childhood experiences can impact how we feel about ourselves or our core beliefs. Um, sometimes, unfortunately, children go through traumas. Um, so there's all kinds of things that can impact our core beliefs as we're developing um, as individuals. And those core beliefs can become unconscious. So what I mean by that is they affect our day-to-day -day behavior and feelings, but we're not always aware of them. So in therapy, we try and investigate things like, you know, um, what are your core beliefs and where do they come from and are they realistic and how can we reshape them? So I find the ones that often come up, especially in teens who are depressed, are, um, you know, feelings of guilt or not being worthy um, often come up or not being lovable. Uh, with young children, we may see core beliefs such as um, I'm bad, I'm not a good kid, right? So um, in therapy, we need to work on those core beliefs and challenge them and try and change them so that they're more realistic or more positive because those core beliefs are often extremely skewed towards the negative and not reflective of uh, reality. So we know that engaging in these uh, unhealthy thinking patterns or cognitive distortions um, are really unhelpful, especially um, in different situations. So they actually make us feel more sad, more depressed. And the goal here is really to recognize when we're doing them and to challenge them, right? So we want to challenge those negative thinking patterns and think more realistically or more positively so that we can change how we're feeling. Another important strategy is to turn into our body cues. So when we're feeling really upset or emotional, our body often is showing us um, how we're feeling. So we may have the physical sensation of being upset or sad or overwhelmed or stressed. Um, and tuning into those feelings and then, you know, engaging in some of those relaxation techniques or waiting for the emotional experience to pass um, can really just help recognize that these are emotions that are going to be gone in a few minutes. They're not going to stay forever and you're not going to feel, you know, we're not going to feel this way for an extended period of time. So just recognizing that it's an emotion, it's going to come and go and it's not going to stick forever is an important part of the work here as well when we're thinking um, about challenging how we're, how we're thinking and feeling in the moment. I find that that can be a really effective strategy, especially for individuals who tend to get very caught up in their thoughts and they're feeling really overwhelmed and they're having a hard time challenging them. Sometimes it's a great initial step just to say, you know what, tune into your body for a moment, actually label those feelings, say what they are. So, you know, I'm feeling a heaviness in my stomach. I'm feeling a tightness in my chest. Um, I'm feeling, you know, something in my throat and feeling like I need to cry. Like even saying these things out loud until the feeling passes can be a really helpful way of just coming down from that overwhelming, um, that overwhelming emotion. Um, and then that is, makes it easier for us to get back into that sort of coach mindset where we're able to challenge those thoughts a little bit more actively. I was just going to add um, to what Layla, Dr. Layla was saying, just um, uh, with the the um, kind of thinking traps that she was talking about. And I know we've talked about those in previous episodes. And 
I think it's also important to recognize that we all do this sometimes from time to time and sort of just because, you know, you kind of catch yourself falling into the thinking trap. Um, it doesn't mean that you're depressed, but more that, okay, it's, I've recognized I'm falling into this thinking trap. I'm kind of thinking very negatively about my day because of one event. Um, and then kind of figuring out, okay, how am I going to change my thoughts? How am I going to move forward from this? Um, so just kind of knowing that some of these thoughts do happen. And I know with the teens that I work with, it's also... Um, sometimes it's really helpful just to be able to say that, you know, just because I'm sometimes falling into these things doesn't mean that I'm depressed, but more, you know, that I'm struggling with this a little bit, but there are things that I can do that are going to help me come out of it. So another important consideration is that depression often interferes with our connection to do things in our life that are meaningful, and this ends up leading to less fulfillment. So it gets much more difficult to, again, engage in the things that we previously enjoyed or just to do the things that are important to us. Um, one way that we combat this is through something called behavioral activation. And I'm wondering, Dr. Jen, if you might be able to talk to us about what behavioral activation is and how it helps us cope with low mood. Definitely. So, uh, as Dr. Mary was, was describing, it's uh, a big piece is identifying um, specific goals that are consistent with the life you want to live. So often when our mood's low, when we're feeling kind of, you know, having depressed, depressive symptoms and feeling kind of low, we um, engage in behaviors that aren't helpful, right? So, um, and that's one of the things I know I've talked about before, where it's, it's kind of thinking about the things that you're doing in your life and thinking, is this helpful or harmful? Um, often, if we kind of think about somebody that's kind of more low mood, um, they might be engaging in things like sleeping in uh, till noon every day, uh, maybe with teenagers they're avoiding classes, maybe they're avoiding social situations, and the problem with these things is that there's negative consequences to these types of coping mechanisms, right? So we, we talk about positive coping mechanisms and, and more negative coping mechanisms, and avoidance is a very common uh, coping mechanism. Um, for people when we're feeling kind of a low mood, right? So rather than deal with the problem, I'm just going to lay in bed or I'm just going to skip class or I'm just going to avoid my friends. The issue with this is that it kind of creates this negative spiral, right? So for example, by avoiding classes, then we fall further behind and then we feel more overwhelmed, which makes us want to skip classes that much more, right? Or by avoiding our friends, well, we might actually be, be then left out of some of the social events that are going on and then we have low self-esteem and feel like we're not liked, which makes us want to avoid more. So it's kind of getting into these negative loops. Mm -hmm. The idea behind behavioral activation is trying to find some things um, that will create some sort of positive feeling, some sort of enjoyment, um, or give us some sense of, of being productive um, that is going to help us a little bit and kind of improve mood. So basically, we're really working to sort of um, eliminate or decrease some of those negative behaviors and increase the positive behaviors. Um, in terms of uh, different ideas for things that we can do, um, I know with a lot of um, the clients that I have and, and in speaking with both the teenagers and the parents, um, there's often a real lack of motivation. Um, and that's, that's one of the difficulties is it's basically, I think a lot of people feel like, well, I'm just going to wait until I feel like doing it. And the problem with that is that you might not ever feel like doing it. So the way that I describe it is really kind of a short-term pain for long-term gain. So in the initial steps of behavioral activation, you might not necessarily feel a ton of positive feelings because your mood's kind of low and you're kind of lacking that motivation to begin with. But over time, it becomes more and more rewarding and more and more easy to do. 
and then you can really build um, build on sort of the activities that you're doing, the things that you're doing. Um, the other piece for me, working with uh, with teenagers in particular, is really trying to find something that motivates them. So that's why we talked about kind of identifying specific goals that are consistent with their life, right? So, you know, for teenagers, it's really trying to find things that they want to do. So for some, you know, it might be physical activity or sports. For others, it might be socializing. It's trying to find things that they want to do that are also going to be positive. Um, and really sort of, like I say, building on that. Um, we talk about um, one thing that we can do is creating a list. So often in my sessions, we'll create these long lists of all sorts of different ideas, because depending on how you're feeling that day, some things might be easier than other things, or you might be more inclined to do something social as opposed to some sort of physical activity or, or physical exercise. So we'll often create these big lists, which might have, you know, just to give you a few different examples, it might have things like journaling, um, it might be calling a friend, talking to a friend, there might be yoga, it might be something if, um, if a child's into something like magic tricks or, or puzzles, um, trying to get them to come up with the ideas. For some, it might be music, so playing a musical instrument or even listening to music, um, going for a bike ride, things like that, where it's really, it's trying to get the teenager to come up with a whole, whole bunch of different ideas um, that are things that will, you know, eventually over time are going to help with the mood. Um, the other piece with this is, um, sometimes we'll actually rate. So there's there's kind of two big things that I look at. One is how hard is this activity going to be? And the other piece is how much enjoyment are you going to get out of it, right? And then trying to choose something um, in the beginning stages, it's really trying to choose something that's um, achievable. Um, and that's one of the big, I know I've said this before in different episodes, but we always talk about baby steps, right? So it's trying to figure out what is, what's just a baby step that we're going to start with. And depending on where the... Um, the child or the teenager is at, um, we really want to kind of figure out, okay, what are they actually going to be able to achieve right now? So, so for example, if they're sleeping until noon every day and not attending school and not getting physical activity, um, you know, it's very unlikely that we can get them up at 6 a.m. and go for a 5k run and then get to school, right? So it's really trying to figure out, okay, maybe our goals to start with is just getting yourself out of bed maybe a half hour earlier um, and getting dressed or maybe just getting out of bed and having a shower, those kinds of things. But it's that idea of over time, we're gonna make it more and more challenging and get into things that are gonna be a little bit more difficult once you're ready for that. And that's going to improve your mood down the road. I was just going to say, it, it kind of mirrors um, the approach that we take in dealing with anxiety in many ways, where we're taking these small steps toward a bigger goal. And just like anxiety, depression is something that really wants to stick around. I often talk to my clients about that, this idea that depression is try trying to stay here. So what it's telling you to do is actually the thing that isn't good for us um, because it wants us to stop doing things we enjoy. It wants us to withdraw from things that, um, you know, are important to us, um, forget about all of our goals, do things that create this loop that Dr. Jen was talking about that creates bigger challenges. Um, and it's a huge consequence to all of that, the lower mood, less support, more anxiety, um, all of these, all of these things as part of that cycle. Um, so I think this is a really important point, just taking those small steps toward getting closer to things in our life that are meaningful. That's a really good point, Dr. Mary. And uh, sometimes too, we talk about um, with lots of different actually disorders, whether it's depression or anxiety or um, you know, eating disorders, we also talk about externalizing. Um, so sometimes um, externalizing basically means trying to separate the, 
um, the disorder or the issue itself from, from the child or the adolescent. Um, and sometimes this can be really helpful, especially as a parent, because the, you know, depressive symptoms can be very frustrating to a parent where it's like, oh, if they would just get out of bed, if they would just, you know, get some physical activity, they would be happier. Um, and sometimes when we do that, we put the blame on the child or the adolescent. Um, and if we kind of try and take a step back and say, okay, they're really struggling here, the depression is making this really difficult for them. And so let's work together. Let's kind of, you know, work as a team um, to fight this depression rather than kind of saying that the child is the depression. Does that, does that make sense? Do you guys do that as well? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the externalizing um, technique with anxiety and, and depression, right? So trying to make them notice or recognize that it's not who they are or part of them. It's, it's something external to them that they need to work on and it doesn't have to be a part of their life forever. Yeah, and they really, I mean, often, often with depression, they already have so much uh, self-blame and guilt and shame. So I think especially with depression, it can really help to externalize it and kind of just letting them know, like, you want to work with them, you want to work as a team. Um, and even if, if you can, which can be hard with a teenager, but trying to take some of that, the frustration out on, and kind of thinking it, taking it out more on the depression as opposed to on, on the teenager or the adolescent who's already struggling. I also really like how you mentioned this idea of coming up with a shared goal. I think that's a really important one because parents often talk about their own difficulty in figuring out how hard to push. That's something that I hear from parents a lot. Like, I don't know how hard to push. I don't know if this is somewhere where this is a situation where I'm supposed to get upset or I'm supposed to be supportive. Like, I don't know, you know, how much I'm supposed to push them. And doing something like that where you're coming up with a shared goal really helps bring together more of a team approach as opposed to that power struggle between the parent and the child or the teen. You just uh, reminded me as well, Dr. Mary, of um, often actually scheduling the activity in can be very helpful. Yeah. So, you know, again, it's sort of the deciding together, what are some of those goals, but then also when are we going to do those goals? Because again, it's sort of that, you know, I'm just, if I just wait until I feel like doing it, I may never do it. Right. So actually saying, okay, even though I'm not going to feel like doing it on this day at this time, I'm going to do this activity and even coming up with like, okay, here's some of the obstacles that might get in my way. Right. And ahead of time, you can do that again. You can do this with the parent where it's sort of like, what are some things that are probably going to stop you from doing this? Right. And kind of setting it's basically just setting up your environment for success. Right. And then there's also a bit of accountability. Um, and sometimes if you can include something, if it's a social, you know, maybe a walk with a friend, um, there's that much more accountability because you also have already made this agreement with the friend. OK, on this day at this time, we're going to go for a walk. Right. And again, it just it helps a little bit because it's doing whatever we can to try and, and, and force ourselves to do something that, you know, is going to be a little bit challenging to do because of our low mood. Yeah, that's a really important point. And I think, too, for some individuals, if their goal ends up being too ambitious when they're trying to achieve it or they're trying to set out to do it, um, I always encourage them to still take at least one step toward it, no matter what, rather than total avoidance, because we don't want to reinforce that pattern either, that feeling of, I wasn't able to do it, um, therefore I'm not doing it, well, geez, I couldn't do it anyway. So that whole cycle that gets reinforced. Instead, if it feels too ambitious in the moment, I always encourage them to take at least one step toward it. So if they can't make it 
all the way out for a walk with a friend, um, at least, you know, doing the phone call part of it, or at least walking to the end of the driveway um, or, or waving hi to them or something else that's still um, at least in the direction of their goal. Definitely. And uh, again, you were just uh, reminding me, Dr. Mary, some of the things that I actually have been seeing during the pandemic um, is actually having some of the teens that I see kind of realize these things on their own, right? So I've had a couple of, of my clients actually say, you know, like, I, I just realized if I get up every morning and I take a shower or I get up every morning and I eat my breakfast, it just sets the day off on the right foot. Um, so that's been really neat to see. And then the other piece that I've heard a lot of is just a lot of the teens that I see have actually decided on their own, you know what, too much social media really makes my, my mood lower. So I'm going to reduce the I amount of time. Too. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I've noticed that as it's well. It's been, it's so great. And, and ideally, and this is where like choosing the goals together can be so great because if it's, it's like finding that little bit of like the internal motivation, right? So it's not just a parent or a therapist or someone telling you what to do. It's you deciding, okay, like, you know, like I can actually see the effects I'm on social media and I'm spending, you know, hours a day on social media and I feel worse. Right. And then I take a step back. I I'm on social media less and I feel so much better, right? And especially like it's, 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 those are fantastic situations because they're actually seeing the results. And it's so, so great to see in session. So motivating for them too. And I, I really like that you pointed this out at the beginning when you were talking about behavioral activation, that initially some of these things are not going to feel good. And it's really understanding that we have to do before we feel. We have to, you know, try these things out, do the behaviors before the good feelings will come, but they will come if we keep up with it. Um, so I think that's a really important point to remember as well. What's interesting is when we look at research on happiness, we actually see that much of it comes from fulfillment in our small everyday experiences. So sometimes we think it's like these really big ticket items that create happiness. Um, people with lots of money or um, people who can have all of these amazing experiences or people who live a life without suffering, which of course isn't the case for anybody. Um, but the research really shows that it's through those small everyday experiences and interactions in particular, like that social connection, um, that we do find happiness. Um, so we also consistently see that things like gratitude and self-care can go a long way. Um, I'm wondering, Dr. Layla, if you might be able to talk more about ideas that can help our kids and our teens look after themselves and others as well, knowing that that's also a part of um, coping with low mood and depression. Absolutely. So, you know, as you mentioned, there's been a fair bit of research in, in recent years looking at, well, what predicts happiness and what really is that golden uh, ticket to happiness in life? And consistently, the research is showing over and over again, this idea of social support, right? So when we feel like we have a good social support network, um, we're, we're happier. It's not related to money or um, other successes necessarily. It really is fundamentally at its core related to um, our relationships. And so in line with that, that idea, um, you know, trying to foster that closeness with our children um, 
and with each other in order for them to feel that support, I think is critical when we're treating depression, but also just for healthy development, right? So not just kids and adolescents who are depressed, but just for kids and adolescents in general, I think they need to feel like they have a good social support network and that they're close with people around them and that they can speak to them and talk to them about their feelings when they need to. And so um, I think, you know, at an early age, really setting up um, situations or opportunities for children to put words to their feelings. So recognize and labeling their feelings is a really good um, technique. And then also providing them with opportunities to speak with us. So for example, you know, regularly going for walks with your children and talking about their day and their stresses. Um, you know, I like to often recommend parents have what I call download time with their children every evening. So uh, perhaps after supper or before the bedtime routine starts, um, having that download time where you ask your child, how was your day? Was there anything that upset you? Was there anything that made you happy? Like really just reflecting on the day, not just the negative, but the positive as well. Um, and figuring out together as a team solutions to problems, right? So you're really showing your children that um, you are together and that you are a team that you're gonna work on things together when things are difficult and come up with solutions together as a support, a supportive network, right? A supportive team together working on problems that life um, throws at you sometimes. I think um, this is still important with teens, but it becomes more difficult, right? So teens often don't want to share uh, things with their parents and, and that's actually kind of normal, right? So it's not that it's unusual or unhealthy. I think teens naturally um, are growing towards independence and they may you know, pick up the phone or text nowadays their best friend versus um, telling mom or dad about their day. And that's that's actually quite normative. Um, however, we still wanna provide a healthy environment for them to go to parents if they need that extra support, because that really is ideal when, when teens can have uh, their parents to turn to as well and, and not necessarily be judgmental or try and solve all the problems, but really just be that uh, listener, right? And kind of listen to their teen. And, and if their teen is asking for help, then you help and you provide solutions then. Um, but really kind of fostering that emotional openness with our children and our teens, which is difficult to do, right? Because a part of that work is also, I think, really um, modeling for our children how we speak about emotions and how we seek support from each other, right? So um, if we as parents can model that for our children and teens, it becomes easier for them to develop that language and to use that coping strategy uh, when they need it. Um, Another another thing that's important to um, to mention is that sometimes with with children and teens when they act out we tend to focus on that behavior and say oh you know um, it's it, you know we get angry or we say that they're misbehaving as opposed to recognizing what's behind that behavior and and trying to figure out how to help support them if they're struggling at that point. Um, so it's really important not to overly focus on the behavior but think about what the underlying issue is. To summarize all the points I, I just brought up, I think increasing that sense of social support for our children and our teens is really uh, fundamentally uh, what we should be um, putting our attention towards, right? And focusing on is really just fostering that that closeness and that connection with them. Yeah, it's so important. And I often talk to parents um, of kids at any age, but starting with 
kids who are pretty young, I often talk to them about this idea of not having all of the social eggs in the school basket, so to speak. So this idea that, you know, we want to expand their social network beyond the school so that they have more of that protective social support built in. If they're having a hard time at school, if they are, you know, having trouble with friends at school, at least maybe they're hanging out with cousins on the weekend or other family members or friends, or they're doing extracurriculars or they're FaceTiming um, with somebody else in the family, just different ways so that all of the eggs aren't just in that school basket. So they have um, a broader network of support. And I think such an important point that you talked about before, you know, talking to them and, and creating this openness um, and really listening, listening to what they have to say and reiterating that, that for them sometimes can be very helpful. So even before putting in your two cents as a parent, um, just trying to summarize what your teen or your child was saying to make sure that you're getting it right. Um, and leading with empathy and compassion can go a long way as well when they're having a really hard time opening up or talking about some of these things because it is tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I really like that last point um, that you mentioned around putting all our eggs in the school basket. And I think um, that's also true for so many other circumstances, right? So sometimes we may see children who are really struggling at school, not, not necessarily socially, but also academically, for example. And so when we try and provide other opportunities for a child to excel, so maybe they're really good at sports or they're very musical and they excel at you know music lessons, um, when we provide them with these other opportunities to excel and do well, when there's an area that they're really struggling with, it just helps build that self-esteem Steam and you know that sense of self-efficacy that they can do and accomplish things well um, and that helps buffer against depression and sad feelings as well right so it's it's the social piece but also the feeling effective at different areas of their life um, that sometimes you know we all struggle in one domain and we need to offset that or balance that with other positive um, positive activities or ways that we can feel good about ourselves and what we can do Yes, absolutely. So important. Um, and the other area that we mentioned previously as far as coping with low mood and depression was this idea of um, practicing gratitude um, and looking after ourselves in different ways through self-care and that, that sort of thing. Dr. Jen, would you be able to speak a little more about these sorts of coping strategies that are effective for low mood and depression? Definitely. So um, the gratitude piece is, it's a really interesting one. And, and there's a lot of research that actually shows that, you know, when we do something for someone else, it really makes us feel good. Um, and this is something I've definitely done in session as well, where, you know, maybe um, a teen has talked about uh, a teacher or, or a coach, or sometimes it's a friend that they have, and they just want to express, you know, some positive feelings towards that person. And even just the act of, of writing a, a letter to someone or, you know, sometimes with, with teens, it might be more just, you know, sending a text or something like that. Um, but doing something for someone else can actually make us feel really good. Um, so that's, that's a piece of it. Um, the other side is also really taking care of ourselves, right? And then I always talk about how important it is to be kind to ourselves. And in order to, you know, be kind and caring towards others, it often starts with first being kind and caring towards ourselves. Um, you know, so that's 
is all sorts of different things. And when we talk about self-care, you know, there's there's the piece of just going easy on yourself, right? And, and recognizing that you're human and you make mistakes. Um, so there's sort of the one side of it where it's it's about sort of um, your your internal dialogue and what you're saying to yourself and what you're telling yourself. Um, the other piece is, is the actions, right? So kind of kind of like what we've been talking about today, how there's the cognitive or the thought component, and then there's also the, the behaviors or the actions, right? And when I'm thinking more about the behaviors and actions, it's those three anchors that we've talked about before. So exercise, eating, sleeping, right? And so just making sure that that you're eating properly, even at, again, and it might be one of those situations mm -hmm. where you don't, and it's so common with teens, you don't feel like eating breakfast, right? But it's like, even though you don't feel like doing it, you should still do it. And maybe it's just something small to start with, but over time that will get easier. Um, the exercise, the same idea, right? So maybe initially it's just going to be a baby step where you're just going for a five minute walk even, but it's just that idea of getting started there and then, and then making it bigger as you get more comfortable with it. Um, the sleep, obviously we've, we've had a, a whole episode about sleep um, and we know the importance of sleep as well. Um, another piece is just the um, relaxation and mindfulness. Um, so we live in, an, in, in a society today where we are just um, you know, there's constant information coming at us um, and just learning to kind of try and take a bit of a break and be mindful can be really important. Um, and on the same note, limiting screen time. And I talked a little bit earlier uh, just about the importance of, you know, being able to uh, even especially for teens when they can step back from social media and how I've actually had a number of teens report back to me and say, you know what, this was so helpful. This was a really positive experience for me. Um, and the other piece is, is connection with with uh, with parents, uh, with family. Um, again, sometimes that's that's challenging with adolescents, but it's setting the environment up as best we can, right? And for some parents, it's it's more challenging, um, or the the teenager is more resistant to it than for other families. But just doing the best we can to set up that environment for success. Those are really, really good strategies. And I was just thinking, you know, as we're wrapping up that this is a topic we could probably talk about for a really, really long time um, because there are so many things to talk about as part of it. But I think those are some, you know, great recommendations and great strategies that you brought up today. Um, so we focused a lot on ideas for helping kids and teens cope with low mood and depression. And we really have focused on ways to help our kids and teens recognize the impact that a negative mindset can have, um, the importance of engaging in behavioral activation by setting small goals and encouraging the connection with meaningful areas in our life. Um, and we also talked about promoting looking after ourselves and others, just the importance of that and how far it goes with respect to coping um, in many different areas, but low mood and depression in particular. So thank you all so much um, for joining us. And we invite you to also check out our Facebook page and let us know if there are any topics in particular that you are interested in hearing about. Also make sure to check out the links that we've included in the podcast description.